0: there are days that define your story
1: beyond your life ah! like the day they arrived
0: so no signs of what might be called first contact the objects measure at least i'm colonel gt weber from army intelligence pack your bags
2: you're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations priority one what do they want where are they from you'll be reporting to me but you'll be working with him when you're in the show That's what they call him, the UFO.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode in our Conversations with Sound Artists. This is our special focus, a spotlight on our Oscar nominees uh, for 2017. We're doing this a little bit differently than our other episodes. We're we're doing this via Skype today because uh, two of our nominated artists are in Montreal, working up there. And they are nominated for the movie Arrival this year, which is just a, a really fantastic utilization of sound. The movie is nominated in both Oscar categories this year, Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing. So today we have supervising sound editor Sylvain Bellamere joining us, as well as a re-recording mixer Bernard Strobel. So thank you guys so much for joining our podcast conversation today.
2: You're welcome, <laughs> it's a pleasure.
0: I really just wanted to congratulate the both of you. This is your first uh, Academy Award nomination, is that correct?
2: Yes it is, it is indeed. Well, uh, I
0: think that the, the work uh, is incredibly deserving of, of the nomination. The sound design, uh, I think, is, is just wonderful. And I want to I dive into that a little bit. But I'm, I'm curious for both of you, you know, this is, I, I believe this is the first time that you've worked with uh, the director, Denis of the Nueve on, on a picture. So how did you guys meet Denis and how did you come to work on Arrival?
1: Uh, basically, we we know each other, Denis, for a long, long time. Uh, Denis will grow up in the filmmaking here in Montreal. Uh, personally, I did my first film with him, with him 20 years ago, and I've been doing uh, four or five projects since then. But in that case, uh, it's my first American film with Denis. Uh, so uh, because he, yeah, he started in the U.S. around 2011, 12. That's my first. Uh,
2: well, my, myself, you know, it's uh, I've uh, I was actually a, a recordist for one of Denis' first implication in a film as a as a director, a long time ago. And uh, it's a small family in Montreal. We all know each other for a long time. Sylvain and I have worked uh, on more than twenty films together, and uh, so and Denis had seen my work through other directors' films. And uh, so it's a small family and we, yeah, we all know each other for a long time.
0: Fantastic. And so, and, and at what point in the process did, did um, I guess this is for you, Sylvain, did you become involved um, with Arrival? Uh, had, they, had they already filmed the, film, the movie or at what point did you, did you jump on board?
1: Uh, I knew the script for like a year or something, but uh, I jumped in the film for different production matters. We we came late in the project uh, because finally the film was done in Montreal, the town. It was supposed to be done uh, somewhere else, but we actually end up with the film uh, in a pretty tight schedule. I have to say, we definitely start on February first, um, 2016, and we had to finish the film for June. So wow. in that scale of production, it's pretty tight. But I have to say that uh, one of the key elements of the sound team, uh, Dave Whitehead and Mitchell Child, who are sound designers uh, that work on that part of the film, I will talk about them later because uh, they're really great artists. And Michelle and Dave were already involved in the film since uh, a few weeks and even months, I would say. I see, I see.
0: So, yeah, you know, obviously, I think when people um, consider this, the, the sound of Arrival, I think one of the greatest challenges was, was conceptualizing and building the sound of the heptapods. Um, so for, I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to presume that, that all of our listeners, uh, know about the film, but if, in case they haven't, Arrival, uh, tells the story of these, these 12, um, very large alien, uh, spacecraft, uh, I I think they're called shells that show up around, around the earth. And we follow two characters, uh, who were very interested in, in linguistics uh, and mathematics as they kind of have first contact with two of the alien um, uh, creatures that were, were called heptapods, which is because they have seven legs. So uh, obviously the de- designing the sounds and the, of the heptapods and the environment of the, of the shells was a, a huge challenge. So Sylvain, can you talk a little bit about, about um, how you and your team approached that work?
1: Uh, it's, it's a good question because I just previously uh, talked a, a bit of them. So the, the voice of the Heptapods were already in the hands of Dave Whitehead and Michelle Schall in New Wellington. And Dave had, had a great experience on those type of film. He's been working with on Peter Jackson film. Uh, he worked on Lord of The Rings. Uh, he worked on The Hobbit uh, and others. Uh, he had a great uh, CV. He had a lot of experience. So Dave, as a sound designer, really started the creation of, of the voices. So when we came in, uh, Bernard and I, the, the voices of the Pateau were already in a very good position. Mm. And of course, we went through and uh, we had to we, we work with, with uh, The team was already there. It, it, been a lot, um, uh, it went a lot in, uh, in increasement with uh, Joe Walker, the editor, was extremely present at that stage. And then um, so the voices were already in the process. To talk a little bit about that, uh, uh, and that will come back to other questions later, but the, the eptapod had to, to sound really sacred, exactly like we go to a chapel and hear God, basically. That was the, 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 the goal of Denis.
0: That was your direction, is to make them sound like God.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sacred voices, we say. So yes. uh, Dave went on, on a very uh, clear line about using... Uh, natural sound, so uh, there 's a lot of sound when you want to create something like that, but there 's a lot of different sound and and he had to to build also a language inside that so it 's not uh, dropping sound here and there it's really there 's a structure, and you 've been working uh, harmonically quite well to make that fit um, and uh, yes, that was a mingle. maybe but uh, but but that was the first step, and we had to go later on on the on the mixed. Uh, with the heptapod vocals, and I, I really would like that Bernard express himself about the the mixing of voices. Uh,
2: well, it, it was it was quite uh, a, a straightforward. I mean, it was the idea uh, during the mix was to make sure that every sound that they would make would be clearly identified as what. What was the goal because sometimes you can create sounds and when you you put them into the sound stage with everything else uh, then sometimes it becomes unclear who said what and uh, Mm -hmm. who is responding to what and so all of that was to be clear and also then to give the power that that, uh, Denis wanted for each of these interventions of the heptapods uh, whether they're supposed to be scary or just communicating or just waiting or or commenting or we we ask ourselves what they, what was the meaning of what they were expressing at that moment, and just figure out how that should be played out and uh and make sure that there was also a dynamic curve through that uh in the in the way they were expressing themselves, and the weight each one of those interventions should have compared to the weight of the meaning of them. So it was just making sure all of that had a sense meaning and was clearly understood. And, and also we have to say that at the end, the voices of the Etapod
1: are for the scientists, something, something completely uh, understandable. They, 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 I mean, they cannot understand it, in fact, sorry. Right. They cannot understand it. They have to go to writing to understand the eptapod. So At the end, the voices of the etapod become only emotional. And I think yes. the, the peak of that uh, reached a point at the end when Louise is alone in the shell with, uh, with Abbot yes. and um, uh, one of the Eptapod. And then the, 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 um, as much as we go to her, her truth, as more as, more as we go to her mind and, and the comprehension of the story, the voice of the Eptapod become really, really uh, uh, hard and, and bass low and sort of that. So there's a certain certain sort of emotion regarding the voices, but only emotion. There is no comprehension, and the writing are the the words basically.
0: I, I wanted to ask you about that point because I, I thought dramatically, you know, Denis uh, made made a very interesting choice, which is the you know the the language that the heptapods are using to communicate is is w- with the humans in this case is is. Purely written, so there's a there's a disconnect between the vocalizations and and, and the communication through the written language. So it, it it must have been liberating in a way not to have to create um, a literal language that matched sounds that were being represented visually. Um, and then it's your point is really interesting that that sort of made an opportunity to just have the heptapod vocalizations become almost purely emotional and tonal. I'm curious because there are two main heptapods in the film, um, and they call them Abbott and Costello, which is pretty pretty amusing. Um, but are the voices different? It seemed to me like the voices were different for Abbott and Costello, like they they had their own personalities.
1: I will probably uh, say uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell, but you got it something. It's interesting, but it it was it was very similar. But uh, I don't know, Bernard, what do you think
2: of that? I uh maybe dave uh, did do some some <laughs> subtle changes from one character to the other uh i know we ended up for 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 flexibility we ended up mixing maybe some of uh, some of the two characters uh. because because of a reaction we wanted there was not available there but was available on the other one and um so, depending on the movements that were that were on screen for uh, for uh, each one of the yeah, Abbott or Costello, there might be some mixture. But generally speaking, I have to say that Dave had already separated both characters, so he yeah, might have injected some 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 personality to each of them. And uh, it, it's it's in here. I'm sure the question would be more to to Dave and see if if he had planned that. But that's wonderful. That's wonderful if you if you feel some difference because you know it shows that maybe each one of them has their own character.
0: So, Van, can you talk a little bit about the um the sound design within the vessel? Um, because it, I, there just seem to be a lot of interesting things going on in terms of of tonality and even. You know, in the in the shots when the vessels, you know, when the when the uh, when the shells move, they 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 create really interesting sounds.
1: Yeah, um, the, when the me- the vessel moved, it was the same ideal to, to you only use very only natural sound uh, with the that was the goal to have a very organic kind of ancient sound. It, the, in a way, the heptapods are are a future civilization that can see through time and they're very intelligent, but on the, on the other hand, they kind of look really, really like Stone Age, sort of, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the bear in the cavern. So it's a sort of mix visually, and like their brain and their, what they look is kind of, uh, kind of different vibe. So the, the idea of having an organic sound is to provide this concept of something extremely uh, natural. So the vessel, when it moves, it was magnificently designed by uh, Olivier Calvert uh, in Montreal. And uh, we use a lot of um, uh, rock sound and ice sound that we melted together, and uh, we morphed it to different structures to so make the movement, as it, like if it, there's a mountain who's moving. Um, also, we'll see, also in the shells, it's more clear when we close to the entry of the shell, there's this kind of a special wind um, also made on the same kind of structure, wind that does not exist in the real life. It, it's a real wind, but really, really switch all over the place, mm-hmm. uh, reverse all over the place, process all over the place, and make the wind sort of uh, interference uh, around the, the ship. And there is also some uh, radio signals that are spreading. The very, it's very subtle, especially when they go to the shell for the first time. There's like a lot of interference, mm. because the idea was also, the idea was also that when they go to the shell, they're like uh, billions of thousands of kilometers from the base, in a way. Even if the distance is like one kilometer from the base, in fact, their communication is are really, really tough to get. So there's sort of a... Um, all, it, it wasn't like that all the time for different uh, uh, cinema uh, uh, concepts. Sometimes the voice was difficult to hear, sometimes not because there is a script that's going on and we need to understand. But the idea was to bring the, the radio communication to a level of a disconnection as soon as they go into the shell.
0: you brought up the electronic communications and, and I read that you guys spent a lot of time and energy in the way you processed the actors' vocals to go through radios, to come through televisions to, you know, I think that the easy thing is just to put, you know, a couple of frequency filters on and kind of do a little bit of a radio futz as a plugin. But you guys actually took some extra steps and I'm curious to hear uh, wh- what you did, and 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 the and how that affected the perception of the performances.
2: Well, the the idea is since they were supposed to have a lot of, uh, we wanted there to be a lot of layers of communication, and to be to have different colors because when the actors were talking to each other within the shell, we wanted that to have a different color for when the bass co- calls in to the um, to to the shell. And there were all sorts of of uh, dialogue lines also through televisions, through kind of uh, let's say, kind of a Skype uh, between uh, military bases. And through all all those things, um, we really wanted for for it to be different, each one of them. And going starting using plugins, sometimes you end up getting colors, very similar colors, depending on the plugins that you use. And uh, also the inter in, uh, the uh, the interferences uh, or the uh, static and and breakups that we wanted to 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 be to be able to have were almost easier to to recreate in a very uh, naturalistic way using real communication devices that we could actually manipulate and move around and to create all sorts of uh, problems in it. And uh, the idea was to get inspired by the real things and then to to come up with new colors that were a little bit out of what would usually be used because we're using real things that are all different in, in, in types. And that would would be the inspiration of how things would sound within it. So the uh, Sylvain went out and, and just went on a shopping spree to, just to get, Every kind of uh, communication device that could that he could put his <laughs> hand on, tested them all, and then uh, we rigged we rigged them all together, uh, you, and then passing all the dialogue through the actual receiver and uh, transmitter of those devices in in two dis- in two separate rooms using a loudspeaker on one side and uh, and having the the output uh, mic'd uh, in the in the the, st- in the studio. And uh, going all the di- putting all the dialogue lines through different uh, chosen pre-chosen uh, devices, depending on their usage, and having a big recording session of all those dialogue lines. And for each one of those devices and setup used, we also did impulse responses of it you know, by by running sweeps through it. And then I took all this material with a sample of the the source material, the recorded material using the impulse responses recorded to it, I recreated the sound of each one of those devices through plugins. So that's oh, interesting. Any new ADR line or any new dialogue line that would have been would be added later on, we would not have to recreate this recording session and we could actually recreate the noise signature the and uh, the harmonic signature and the frequency response of each one of those devices used to be able to, to do whatever we wanted later with the ADR or new dialogue lines. Oh, that's so fascinating. So it was a big process, yeah. and uh, it also created all sorts of things. I remember Sylvain playing, with, doing feedbacks with some of those devices, and just came up with a bank, uh, a, a sound, uh, a bank of sound that that were used in in the most odd situation in the film, but that that actually gave a, a nice, strange, electronic and weird interference, uh, uh, interferences uh, <laughs> uh, in some situation, just because we did this rig and this just gave new colors of sound to be used it's like getting really inspiring ourselves from any real situation that can have just to steer us to on a different path than the usual one
0: when you're when you're dealing with um purely electronics and and um plugins you don't get a lot of happy accidents but sometimes when you're recreating things the old-fashioned way you, you do get you get some that's that's wonderful
1: it, it, was a, it, it was so crazy. You have no idea. And we went through a process that, it was, <laughs> my God, we spent hours on little things. We had so many devices <laughs> that we only have used some of them at the end. But it was incredible the number of devices we bought for that. Uh, on the other hand, we have to say also that some of the shots were t- also came from the production uh, recording and the set, like the helicopter scene, for instance. When they are in the a helicopter, uh, the the conversation between all of them uh, when the so this is pure production sound, a fantastic record by, by Claude. So, uh, but that the sound was so good in that shot, we really tried to to change that with devices. We came up with different devices, <laughs> but Claude' his sound of the set was the best, and it was a pure real headset of helicopter uh, team. So. Oh, on the other side, we had the yeah, there was a real sound on that tape. Oh, that's fantastic. and
2: also all all what all the, and what this scene and also uh, other recordings that we did later is that for each take, each one each time, the system has a different static, uh, random static that moves around, and that's you can hear that in the the helicopter scenes. there's all sorts of parasite sounds that comes into it (laughs) that are random and why not that's the real thing let's let's use that Uh and let's make sure of that and also you know just to close up on the subject there's the pas inside of the of the base camp there's some inside and there's outside of them and those uh, and the mathieu boudin is the sound editor who actually handled all of those uh, sound editing and he he took one of those those uh, PA devices, and he took it to to his uh, his shack in in huh? the woods, and recorded them a hundred foot away. To and all the same dialogue lines, we had that recorded a hundred foot away, and that's that's what's in the film. So it, it's just going back to some natural colors and and um, and uh, moving away from from yeah. the worn path.
1: The, the, the plugins, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's great. It's uh, it, it reminds me of uh, you know what what Walter Murch used to call worldizing.
1: Yeah, completely, mm. completely. Mm-hmm. It's the same school. It's, uh, this is it's a, that that is the school, and it, it's a school that is really really present in Hollywood. Uh, the recording for all the biggest sound designer in California today, and still like that. It's as most as they can record on this on, on real uh, environment, or this is where. Even in Soli Studio, as more that so they can record instead of going to uh, sound that already exists. This is yeah. It's, that's it's, right. This is this cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's kind
2: of the same sort of thought for the mix instead of using plugins and stuff. So
1: yeah, of course. And Bernard, by the way, I have to say that he's, uh, in, in his everyday life he, he doesn't like plugins. Bernard is really working
2: with them. Is that true?
1: Oh, but that's true, Bernard. Okay. I think you will agree on that.
2: Yeah. Really, I, uh,
1: because we do a lot of film together. And sometimes I say to Bernard, why do you don't use do this, this, this? And he says, no, no, no. I don't like <laughs> that. I prefer to work myself. And he's right. He's, he's, that's why he's there. So <laughs>
0: It feels better, right? It feels yeah. Nor- it
2: feels uh, yeah. like like uh, one thing I, I love to do is see, like if there's a big loud music playing on top, well, I just hook up an old like huge 18 inch speaker and I just throw stuff on the on the membrane and just let play the music through it and just mm. record the vibration of it and just give, suddenly the room is actually moving. There's stuff like stuff vibrating on the walls. And it's just creating stuff like that. There's stuff you just can't do in a, with plugins and yeah. it end up using sounding all the same. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. This is more of a question uh, for uh, uh, Bernard. Um, the score for this movie, the music, is really just uh, absolutely wonderful. This is a, uh, another score uh, by Johan Johansson, who um, also did Sicario uh, with Denis. <clears throat> and... Um, one of the things that I really love about Johann's work is um, he's kind of playing in an interesting um, middle space between sound design and music. Uh, and I wanted to, really this is for both of you, to talk about the juggling act between sound design and score in this film. And and how you working with the knee made decisions about which element would step forward in a particular moment uh, between the design and the score, and and how that kind of dance happened between those two elements.
2: First, it is true that uh, that, that that music is 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 great in the sense that it's not. Recognizable instruments all the time, and it's it's not also linked to any cultural influence either. So, th- for the topic of this film, that was great to have something that was so mysterious, and uh, it also brought us to a, a a different way because I we started the mix two mixers, Luc Boudria, uh, um, uh, colleague here and friend. And, and myself, and when we started to think of how we would separate things between us, it, we came up with the, the idea of, of having music w- that, that I would handle the music and the sound effects on, uh, of the spaceship together, instead of the, the traditional dialogue music mm. on one side and effects on the other. Because because of the, the blend that would be happening between the music and the, the effects, um, we thought that'd be a good idea to to handle them like that, and um, and it came up, to, and it became quite obvious that this, the uh, in some scenes the music and the sound effects would just blend together, and nobody would could tell one from the other, and. Um, yeah, I'm I'm
0: thinking I'm I'm thinking really specifically about that first scene, um, where where we you know we're, we're in the ship. Uh, with our human characters and then the two heptopods first arrive um, and there's some beautiful yeah. tonality elements happening but then like then johan's score actually when they when you first see them makes a huge bold statement but then that almost seems to blend into a little bit of their vocalizations and movement it was just I, I thought it was a really lovely way to make those two elements work together <laughs>
2: There is exactly that. There are some places where the the vocalization and the music is both of them exactly at the same time, and nobody could tell what, even myself, what part <laughs> of what we are hearing is the music or or the or the and it just played out like that. Some of it is random, but some some of it was 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 looked for and, and it's kind of the maybe random things that we were hoping for and that also Joe Walker had planned, and he had. Joe Walker was playing with the music and uh, the Heptapod voices for some time already, and he was already, uh, he was already having fun with 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 that relationship between between the two elements, and we just let that happen as it as it, as it yeah. run run through, and and uh, also the score was beautiful in the way that it was letting room it gave a lot of room it was super powerful when it needed and then left a lot of room for for us to be able to play a lot of a lot of subtil- subtle things like like the bre- the the breathing of louise or just make sure that we were able to to get all the anxiety of the characters the 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 the, the way they were afraid uh, um, and the emotions of the character were allowed to cut through very easily because the music just left some huge gaps in it with, little, with some sustain to keep the tension, but the way it was scored it just left, it left beautiful room for all sorts of stuff to, to come in, you know, that was great And
1: also we can, we can talk uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, the, 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 for instance the helicopter scene, for instance, when you arrive to the shell. For the first time, I think it's the most. The, the music score there is absolutely my god! It there is every time I see the scene, I <laughs> I enjoy it so much. And it was one of the goals because the helicopter is and has the same range as the music. So the sound of the helicopter is mixing into the music and sort in a way that it's become only one thing. I don't think you can, you know. It's it's. It, I really am really happy with the the combination there of music and design.
0: Oh, that's, I, yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out because I, I noticed that uh, when I was watching the movie again, um, because, of course, you, you, you know, Denise starts it with a kind of a, a it's the first time you've really seen the, the the shell, the alien ship, and it's a it's a wide shot and it's very dramatic and the score is there, uh, but then it seemed like the helicopter came in almost like a percussive element of the score before, Mm -hmm. the helicopter came into the frame. And I, you know, again, I just, I was really blown away by the collaboration between the design, the sound uh, editorial and the music departments. Um, uh, And and even, you know, I I read a little bit about Johan and how he did the score and, you know, I'm aware that he used a lot of, of human voices and tape loops. And it seemed like you guys were sort of aiming at the same thing, which was, there's no, I mean, neither one of you used electronics. It's really, it's, it's so organic. Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why the two pieces blend so wonderfully together.
1: Yeah. I but think they, one of the key code is that, is that because, because uh, Yuan music was already there. Mm. It was clearly there. So mm. when, when we came to do the design, in a way, we just had to follow Yuan music. And it wasn't the, for the, that famous track, for instance, was there since the beginning. So we were kind of um, Yuan prepared that music since months before. He was he was in the film way way before us. So it was a great guideline basically. And and one of the best, best quality of Yuan music and those spots is that there's a lot of space for design. Yeah, you do his music, you take the space, but there's so much room for us. You know, it's not like it doesn't take all the the screen, we have places to, <laughs> to work on. So, which is, and you know what? I, I never talked to him. We never talk, Is that we, true? Talk That's
0: amazing. And it's true. And yeah.
1: I don't know this guy. I never met him. One day, I think I'm, we need a beer together. <laughs> <laughs> and really. And, and it's just, I mean, personally, and Bernard did a fantastic job to, to mix all this together, to make a, one sound, basically. This is the goal, anyway.
0: Well, I would say it definitely I mean in, in that sense it, it helps a lot. I mean if you have the score uh, almost as a completed element as you're building your design work, then you know you get to avoid that kind of train wreck of, of elements that 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 don't work together. well
2: there there was a lot of work from I mean the the when when a composer, Brings music so early in the production, then there is a, certainly a lot of editing happening afterwards to match to the picture changes and also uh, Clint Bennett was a music editor on that, and he worked also a lot to make sure that the the original ideas of the score became uh, clear in the new picture edit uh, as the picture edit uh, moved uh, moved along so the, there was a there was a good team around
0: the picture the picture editor uh, the picture editor doesn't doesn't uh it doesn't stay locked just because the score has already been done does it
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly
0: well that's fantastic um do you uh, are are there any other any other special sequences or anything that that uh, you guys were particularly proud of that you'd like to call attention to
1: uh personally on my side uh, I would like to say that I I think when you do sound in a film personally it's it's um you really have to know where you are what type of film are you I mean it's, it's not only to drop down in a, in a, on the image it's really where are we what is the cinema we are talking about and I I really want to d- 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 say a big congrats to the play of Amy Hayden, <laughs> Uh because I think Amy did something that I found extremely uh, clear that she played a character who was was, was suffering something in her life she wasn't she wasn't there. When the film starts, she's not a happy person. And there's something happening in the film. She gets a connection with a world that nobody can connect. Uh, she, when she put her hands on the, the glass in the heptapod shell, she, there's, there's literally something that goes into her, her mind and her body, and she will, in a way, be more alone than ever. Mm. And I think the way she played, the, the vibe that she has. Brought us in a sort of um, of a world that for us and I mean personally we were able to, I think to follow we tried to follow her basically I, what I I don't know if we did that but it's like if the sound follow her it's like the the sounds come from her so yes. it, that's with, of course sometimes when you tr- those kind of things are probably way much more intellectual than real yeah <laughs> but this is something that I fascinating me about and I think she she's so good she's such a great ar- uh, actress she's she never quit that stage. For instance, she's often, she dreams in the film. There's many moments she fall asleep yes, and she dreams and she woke up. There's, And also not talking about the, the flash forward that people think it's flashback in any way. so all of those elements pr- bring her in a, in a world that where, where is she? And she's alone. That's that. And she will be alone for the rest of her life, basically. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. so that was, Anyway, sort of, the, so the sound become in a way kind of very moody. There's a certain vibe, almost sort of a, let's say, sort of a sort of a 60s, 70s vibe sometimes. Kind of, I mean, I, and and there's a lot of when uh, Joanne did a lot of that. When she goes to the shell, for instance, at the end, she kind of um, she 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 land basically. She really slowly in, into that dust and, and, and clouds and everything. There's a, a superb moment when the music is really coming back to sort of a 60s kind of a trippy music so I think it's um anyway it's, that's what's really exciting <laughs> that's great
0: well yeah I think you know you're 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 you talked about the the music opening up space but also the way you know Denis designed the sequences and the way he shot them um you know obviously it's yeah, it's, 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 a, it's yeah. a it's a film largely about people not being able to communicate with each other and so there, are, there are these, sometimes there are these kind of just wide open spaces that I think gave you guys plenty of room to play with in a in a just a wonderful way
2: I could I would like also maybe the the yeah the way Denis and Joe uh, uh, plan for the sound to be part of the film also gives gives a lot of uh, um, leisure to to take that space like like all the sounds that are taking louise banks to to her flashbacks in and out and then we we then sylvain came up with new ideas just to keep this kind of idea of connection through sound which is a sense that is always open even when you're sleeping so mm-hmm. to create those links in and out of of those uh, of those uh, dream moments. Flash forwards or, or flashbacks, and um, to use the sound to go through that was was uh, brilliantly uh, uh, done all, uh, before. And um, yeah, w- well, there's you were you were asking for another some scenes that were that could be worth mentioning. Well, when when we're going for the first time in the shell to create this idea of distance between the shell and the base and the fact that it's getting really deep inside Mm -hmm. and um, also to create all sorts of mood, there was actually a character that was created in post-production completely to keep communication open all the time Communicating every step of the way, and that—that was that was, uh, that was uh, if I'm not mistaken, that could have been, I think, Sylvain's idea to to bring this up in there, and that really? allowed wow. allowed us to uh, that allowed us to to be able to bring it in and out, whether we wanted to uh, to to get closer to the characters and create silence, but to do to do this silence, well, we needed to have that noise all around to be able to to carve in and out of that. Right. And uh, that uh, that was a that was a great something really added to the to the film uh, that that, that uh, in that scene that that creates this mood of stress. We sometimes we barely hear them and then they come back and uh, just gave us material to be able to play with uh, oh, to create tension. That's and, re,
0: that's really fascinating. So you you were able to use that kind of that ever present um, just kind of. discussion of what was happening to build the tension and then sometimes you would take that away and that would lead you exactly an an even more kind of internal moment for amy adams
2: exactly wow and and also
1: uh, bernard can talk about uh, when the first time she go to the shell for instance the she she came out of the base and all the all the Mm. all the sound radically come from Insider hazmat. So we really, with her, is really ha- re- happy with that. It's something I really completely has done in the mixing room, and there's a lot of uh, great things. Also, I would like to talk about the how we did the, the logograms. That was an enormous sure, amount yes, of, of course. work that uh, we, we we started in Paris because the foley team was in Paris, a lead by Nicolas becker who is a, a fantastic foley artist. One of the best sound person I ever met in my life is a. He's a pure genius. And uh, Nicolas was uh, behind um, the Folia of Gravity and uh, the folly uh, uh, by Quaron. And, and uh, the Folia of Gravity is, uh, is a masterpiece. And I think in the history of cinema, I'm not, uh, I'm not joking. He also <laughs> was the Folia to be, be, uh, behind Ex Machina, which is a, a very uh, uh, clear job and something. So Nicolas did uh, a lot of production of uh, uh, creating those sounds from water and vegetables. Really? And then we came in Montreal. We came back in Montreal, where the, the uh, sorry for that. And we came back in Montreal, and then one of my uh, editor, Mimi Alain, was able to to uh, uh, edit all those things. And so uh, the the creation of the logogram, at the end, it be they're really simple in a way. When you look at the film, it doesn't sound that special. Yeah. But the amount of hours behind it was <laughs> enormous. And uh, and uh, yeah, so the way it was so it's exactly like the the ink, the writing when it it's it stuck into the the glasses. So it, yes. was, it was really exciting.
0: Well, that is, it sounds so. Your your foley your foley artists were in Paris. Your sound designers were in New Zealand. You guys were in Montreal <laughs> making this American like how with this. That seems just crazy.
1: Yeah, and, <laughs> in Montreal we had other. I mean, the biggest thing by far was in Montreal because. We had Olivier Calvert, Pierre Gelaudet, with a fantastic job about all the naturalistic sound. Uh, and then, uh, uh, sorry, I'm in my car. Actually, and there is a <laughs> beat going on. <laughs> okay, sorry but, about that. It's, uh, I, I'm, I'm also a father right now, so I, I have beats coming coming from the pool. So sorry. Yeah, right. yeah the, the the main theme was in Montreal. Uh, some of the team in Wellington. We had some something happen. Uh, some of the sound were produced in New York, and also some of the uh, also some of the effects came from LA. So basically, we had uh, an international uh, over four different countries. So it was really exciting.
2: <laughs> Very interesting in, in in a film where where that talks about communication between different countries, yeah. and we, <laughs> we end up we end up creating this with this exact same type of communication. It was a it was a very exciting project, and I wouldn't I, w- I would be sad not to mention also the the the, the strong will that uh, Mel's studio took into creating and putting up the 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 stage to allow for this project which is kind of bigger than what we're used to here in montreal and they 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 went all out into making sure we had everything needed to to do this so hats off to them yeah
0: i wanted to ask you a a little bit about that because um you know uh, this was obviously a pretty pretty big um you know american studio film and i understand that that uh, the deadline was very tight and um and i just wanted to you know ask you about what, what what was it like to have a Kind of a, a project that size and that complicated and that rushed go through go through montreal with you guys
1: oh it's it's it was the us was a huge challenge because we not choose to do those big kind of film and uh my goodness i think we worked 16 hours a day seven days a week I'm on my side mm-hmm. and 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 Bernard and I, we, we know each other for a long, long time, and we're uh, we like a band together. And then <laughs> Bernard was involved really soon. Uh, most of sometimes recording mix are not involved, as Bernard was since the beginning. So, uh, for instance, when we did the, the construction of, of speakers and devices, Bernard was really involved with that, because Bernard is very good with speakers. He started to build speakers when he was really young, uh, we have to say that. So he's very, very good with, with speakers. But uh, behind that is yeah the schedule and the the, the pressure was uh, was high and also it's a high season of post production so sure. we had a lot of people were already busy on other films and because here in Quebec uh, February and March is really busy in, in post production so yeah it was it was something and sometimes I have to say it was um, I, I was quite nervous sometimes but <laughs> the the the, it's, it's, the end was beautiful we're happy today with all this nomination but. Uh, Last last year, at the same time, I was quite I was quite tired already. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we had we had for the mixing stage. We had to uh, to upgrade the consoles to the the Avid S6, and we basically had two weeks to learn it before the, the coming into the mix. And um, like I said, we were two mixers at first: Luc Boudria and I, who did pre dubs um, in different stages, and then we started off the the final mix. And for um, unfortunately, for a personal reason, um, uh, Luke had, had to uh, quit the, the, the film. And so I eventually came up, I had to mix the whole thing on my own. And uh, by the end, I was working 15, 16, even 20 hours a day. And uh, eventually, at one point, I had eight faders who just stopped working oh, on the board, oh my gosh. which was it it could have been replaced very easily. I just didn't know how, and I didn't have time to get the information. And with all this pressure around, uh, working uh, in this situation, it was it was quite, it was very, it was quite challenging. But I think that throughout this, what made it all possible is first, Denis had confidence in us, which was wonderful, and also we had confidence in the film. We failed the film. We knew we knew how how it should be going and we had a good relationship also with uh, Joe Walker. And it, it when you know where you're going it makes everything easier. And uh, even if it's long hours and uh, it, it just made made things, you know, hard work but we we knew where we were going with all of that and it, it and, just made and to,
1: to mention,
2: uh, Bernard, uh, the, the, the producers were so cool,
1: Aaron <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Ryder, Don <laughs> Levine, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Jackman from Film Nation, those guys were like partners, they were like, they trust us, and they wanted something cool and, and good, and they, I think we, they were with us, and, and we never had any bad pressure from them at all, they were super cool, super, like friends, and I, I think sometimes in a, at this scale of a production it, it's not easy because there's so many things going on Sure. and I have to really really say thank you very much to Mike Jackman who was, Mike was like um, a guide <laughs> behind me just to make sure that we were happy and, and, and relaxed and no it, it, was a, it was a great moment of uh, friendship also of this project
0: well, that's fantastic well uh thank you guys for taking the time today um uh and bernard to talk to us about uh, your amazing work on arrival and uh you know best of luck in a couple of weeks at the academy awards i know this is your this is your first nomination so this must for both of you so this must be a very exciting time
2: it is <laughs> very, <laughs> yes, exciting, it is, very uh, overwhelming <laughs> and uh, we feel very honored to be there because there are some very nice films around uh, on those lists also and uh, to be uh, sharing that moment with them is is really an honor
1: yeah we're going tomorrow to London for BAFTA
2: that's
0: right that's right before the Oscars you have the BAFTAs so you're going to London for the British Academy yes congratulations on that as well well good luck for both awards and um, yeah congratulations again on just uh, fantastic work so this is Glenn Kaiser signing off from the uh, the Oscar podcast this is a co-production of the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks collection Thanks very much.